Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, and welcome back to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Erica Pierce, and joined, as always, uh, by my other co-host, Eric Chexer. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing great, Erica. We're going across the pond again to a U.S. Army uh, Lieutenant Colonel in the U.K., Yes. Now, I always like when we uh, when we take our um, our podcast international. <laughs> so with that said, thank you so much. We have our guest today, Lieutenant Colonel Arnell David. Uh, Ar- Ar- you know, Arnell's fine. Um, over here in the, with the British, they, I like that they use first names. So you'd say Lieutenant Colonel Arnell, which oh, you know, normally I have two first names, so people get confused, but it, it, worked, it tends to work better over here on this side. Oh, excellent. That excellent. would blow my mind. <laughs> Well, you are a um, an army strategist and um, still on active duty, but as you just said, over across the pond in, in the UK. First, let's just start a little bit with your background. You know, what is an army strategist? I'm very familiar with a lieutenant colonel. Um, my father was is an, an army man himself, but I do not know what an army strategist exactly is. Sure, that's that's a good question. So I won't I won't bore you with the textbook definition. I have my own little elevator pitch I give to people when they ask me what I do. Um, you know, the office space question, what is it exactly that you do? Um, but as a strategist, uh, I read voraciously and, and I write frequently, but we spend lots of times taking concept, c- complex concepts and ideas, and we do our best to synthesize, go here, and simplify them so, so that we can translate them into policy or a strategic plan. You know, we produce products that, you know, hopefully you just don't explain something, they inspire action. So that's generally what I would explain as a strategist. And, and Arnell, just to go through your background, I mean, you were the you were a company commander and an executive officer um, in the infantry. You've also deployed as f- part of uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom, too, right? Yes, Eric. Yeah, I've got a lot of deployments, and you know, my wife and family will tell you I mean, spent six combat deployments, you know, five and a half years in other places, but Iraq, Afghanistan, the Central Asian states, Tajikistan, Philippines, the Levant, Jordan, Lebanon, all over the place. Okay, credentials check. And I mean that—that's an impressive experience across the globe, really dealing with international cultures. Um, certainly, one that I, I don't even come close to. Yeah, it's quite the adventure. I mean, it's been a good career. Well, and, and Arnold, how does that translate in terms of your background? I, I know you've spent a lot of work, and you have um, a book that I, we definitely want to talk a bit about um, as, as well. That focuses on um, people connectivity. Um, and uh, in terms of the cyberspace, how did you? Tra- how does that work translate into that area? And what's 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 your focus um, in terms of cybersecurity, national security? So you know, being a strategist, I mean, we we tend to be broad, and and we have to, like I said earlier, we read pretty widely to look at and examine, you know, not just in the physical kinetic space for or of military activity, but virtual as well, and, and the cognitive. So. Um, we, we have to understand cyber strategy and what, how that's being developed and how our adversaries are using, you know, different attack vectors or different means of trying to coerce or compel, you know, the West or to extract concessions. So, I mean, it, it encompasses a strategist, you know, has to be kind of a, can't be a one trick pony and has to account for, for all of it. 
And, and what have you seen in over your career now? I mean, you, you've you know, if you go to LinkedIn, I mean, your resume is incredibly impressive. What have you seen change over the last couple decades from a cyber perspective specifically? Sure. So. I guess I could t- tell a quick story. I mean, we, we had to visit, um, when I was in the strategic studies group, we visited New York City and we, we had the privilege and honor to meet with uh, Chief Leonard, the FDNY chief. And he said something that just kind of clicked with me, which I, you know, I put into the book, one of the chapters is that he explained back to, I think it was Hurricane Sandy. He explained that something had changed to him in, in the way he's, you know, and he's had a lot, of, a lot of experience. He said something's changed in the present where, People texted or tweeted or, or messaged that gas prices were shooting up fast, which was not necessarily true at that time. But what it did was it created chaos and panic. And so people were at the pumps, people were piling up the pumps and guns were getting pulled out. And it's created this chaos and it has it developed and spiraled out of control so fast. And, and that right there, I mean, how do we get tools to help mitigate that from you know getting out of control and maybe messaging and saying you know gas is not gonna or whatever the situation might be. I mean in Afghanistan, the same thing is happening where the adversary, the Taliban, were creating a crisis of panic to the Afghan army by messaging that they took parts of the town or checkpoints were gone. All of it not true, and then just again just pushing this information, uh, this false information to where it just creates this panic and crisis. And we have to kind of mitigate and, and arrest that from getting worse. So really a disinformation campaign, not dissimilar to what the Russians did with the election, the presidential election, what we're trying to prevent in the next one. We had Chris Krebs from Seesaw on a couple couple months ago talking about the concerns around the election and protecting. But we're not even talking malware in this case. We're talking really using information technology in a disinformation campaign or effort. Yeah, absolutely. That, that almost sounds like it, it's more, there's more potential for catastrophe there when your mom or somebody you know or somebody you're linked in with on Facebook, whatever it may be, somebody who has some level of credibility or believe perceived credibility tells you something than when yes. something happens to your system. Yes, and the stuff that's happening with uh, these bots that are can re- recycle or resyndicate these messages and themes, I mean, it starts to saturate the information environment. It starts to, you know, f- plug your feed with different messages, and and people are starting not to know what to believe. Uh, my mom had forwarded me something the other day, and I was like, you know, I would question everything that was said in that video. <laughs> that she and she was like, hey, look at this. Is this true? And I was like, no, absolutely not. I mean, that. That can be, you know, the Russians from RT creating that that message, and it, you know, it's very, it was very political. So I was like, be careful what's in your feed. You got to be mindful of what, you know, what you're reading and, and listening to. It's interesting. Your book, Military Strategy in the 21st Century, the, the subtitle is People, Connectivity, and Competition. One of the lines in the in, in the um, about the book section is the character of not just war, but strategic competition appears to be changing. Failing to adapt will result in further losses of blood and treasure, as well as prestige and influence. Powers wither, power withers when it proves frail. It's such a powerful line. Yeah, thanks for that, Eric. Yeah, so the co-authors, General Cleveland, who used to be the commander for U.S. Army Special Operations Command, uh, Dr. Ben Jensen, uh, instructor at the Marine Corps University, and another good friend, Dr. Sue Bryant, you know, the four of us, 
and she's teaching at John Hopkins and um, running Strategic Education International. I mean, the four of us have, we were initially going to write some articles and it just turned into a book because we were seeing the direction that the, the government, particularly defense, was going is that we had these 18 years of war um, where we now have the most experienced generation of war fighters in our nation's history. And we didn't want to walk away or, or not learn those lessons from these wars where we failed to understand the, the local dynamics of the conflict that we we're entering into. And we want to make sure that the defense, you know, especially particularly defense and, and soft and special operations, we have the capabilities to help leaders understand, to give them, you know, decision space before we, you know, do something. I mean, fundamentally, if you think about logic, I mean, understanding should precede action. So before you start doing something, you should understand what's going on before we go in there and do some kind of kinetic action and make matters worse. So thanks for bringing up the book. You know, I'm always willing to make a plug for it. So appreciate that. <laughs> well, and the other, um, just going to continuing with, with, with the book. I mean, I think there's some interesting things that you, that are hit on there. Um, one of them is the focus just on, and I think you're, you've already been talking about this, how interconnected we are. And I mean, I see that only increasing. And when you raise the issue about the bots, I mean, I actually had not thought about that from just a, um, a security standpoint. So you know, what do you see in terms of, of that direction? I mean, I think we're only going to see um, people being, you know, more plugged in, um, you know, other just, just more issues only arising in terms of how we look at um, how we look at security, I think, just from a personal standpoint, as well as from a, a broader national security standpoint. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts in terms of when, when you look to the future? So a lot of folks in the military get caught up on the enemy and the threat. Mm -hmm. And that is one aspect of the environment that, you know, we have plenty of people, enormous amounts of resources looking at the threat. There's also a part of the environment that you have to take a look at, which is the, not necessarily the threat, but, you know, the, the civilian populace. I mean, other civil society groups, NGOs, I mean, a whole host of like organizations that, we need to, you know, we need to develop relationships with, and we need to make sure that we, you know, we, like I said earlier, is like we, we have to capture these, these relationships and then to build these and, and illuminate these networks. And right now, I would argue that we don't have a way to interrogate these networks, to illuminate them, to show them. I mean, we have them for the red, for the, for the adversary to, to map those out. But we haven't mapped the human geography as we state in the book. I mean, we have to do that so that we know who and really, you can tend to fix if, you know, some of these indigenous issues can be fixed by indigenous forces or, or, or partners um, rather than us putting boots on the ground. So the better we have these networks flushed out and who's important, and who we should be working with, the better. So that we don't lose all the work that you and your peers have done over the last couple decades with these populations. Absolutely. In, in the book, we, we outline a military theory that one, you know, charts the changing character of strategic competition and conflict. And then two, we propose a new operational construct for mapping the human domain is what we call it, you know, building a security network and then leveraging these relationships so that we can gain a position of relative advantage. Okay. Speaking of relative advantage, I want to switch to your current role. You've been coming up on a year and a half now, the U.S. Special Assistant to the Chief of General Staff for the British MOD, Ministry of Defense. Um, and and well, I know Army, you're British Army, British Army. Sorry, British Army. Thank you. Um, I, I know we've spoken in the past about prototype warfare and what what the British Army is doing. Can you elaborate a little more? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be a great story for our listeners. Absolutely. And I've listened to some of your past podcasts talk about innovation. And so this idea of prototype warfare, I mean, it's exciting. And the British Army is starting to get after this big idea where, you know, it's being embraced by not just the most senior, but the most junior leaders in the Army. It's really about innovation delivery. It's, It's about increasing the conversion rate of idea to capability, where you might take commercial off the shelf technology and put it into soldiers' hands to experiment and test more rapidly in a training or deployed setting. So we're prototyping new ways of operating, but then feeding that information into you know, a data lake where it can be interrogated further and we can learn from. So in essence, it's, it's an approach to military activity that is specifically designed to uh, catalyze creativity, empower leaders at the tactical level, and then just overall nurture a culture of adaptation. So pretty exciting stuff. And how does cybersecurity figure into that? So how would that work is if, let's say there's a you know, commercial off-the-shelf solution that normally, traditionally, you have to go through all these gates, you know, the valley of death, as you might have, might have heard it been called, to finally get to become a thing that we, we would you know, field or use. I mean, Eight right years now, later. Yeah, and it's right now, this, you know, this age of digital disruption that we're entering into, I mean, stuff is becoming available um, regular, you know, weekly, monthly, and it's changing fast. So we understand that now. And so we're trying to create a, I mean, for lack of a better word, like innovation hub, where we have a dedicated force or, or people that, you know, and it might not just be um, soldiers or uniform members, it might be civilians. It might be like, you know, you walk in, you see the movie Star Wars and you walk into the bar there, it might look like that. You know, you might have people with pink hair and, and earrings, and, and, and we're okay with that, so long as uh, they are able to commu- communicate and connect with all these younger generations, these tech startups, I mean, industry, academia types, to bring in ideas, to crowdsource new ideas, and bring them more rapidly into the, to integrate them more rapidly into the military. So if there is a commercial off-the-shelf, you know, cybersecurity, you know, script or, you know, software, why not prototype and get after it now and test it? deploy it to, you know, to a unit. And if it works, then just buy more and scale as needed. I, I mean, I think the idea is, is awesome. I mean, I'm proud to be a part of it and watch it unfold. The, there's a three-star, uh, the commander of the field army, General Ivan Jones, who is aggressively pursuing this. He's given every commander 15,000 pounds to start doing innovation, to experiment, which I think is pretty profound. Erica, we're back to your millennials. Yeah, you know, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, it all comes back to the generations, it seems like, in the cybersecurity <laughs> space now. Um, we, we spent a lot of time talking our lives today, the last few episodes, just talking about some of the differences in terms of the generations when it comes to security as well as just overall technology. So interesting to hear you mention it as well. Wait, no, it's I interesting. Hope, we hope, yeah, we hope that we can, I'm sorry, we hope that the military, British Army, U.S. Army, you know, the challenges that we have are, you know, they're complex and confounding, right? So we want to attract top talent. And I think it's not always about money. It's about wanting to work on something meaningful. And there's plenty of those types of challenges in the military. And so it's good to see these kinds of activities like protect warfare and innovation outreach happening to attract more talent. And we need to play in these domains because our adversaries are, right? They're, they're looking at ways to flank us. We, we clearly have the greatest military and, and strategic influence, but there are very easy, cost-effective mechanisms to outflank America through cyber. Yeah, but the, the difference is that I would say 
the, the, the advantage we have is that we, you, you can't force innovation and you can't force creativity and, and people make them exercise their imagination. That's what's great about the West is that with an open society and democracy, you know, we have this competition of ideas that flow amongst organizations and, and spur, you know, these creative, you know, ingenuity and all, all these things, all this, all this stuff that's getting produced. I mean, it's kind of, you can't force that. And I think these other countries, they wanted to steal it. And so hence the need to protect it with, you know, cybersecurity platforms and such. You can't force innovation. It's also really hard. It's very difficult to teach innovation, like the, the thought, the concept of innovation, how to innovate. I, I think that's, you can teach it, but it's very difficult in my experience. And that, that's clearly an advantage. It's great to see the British Army going in this direction. Absolutely. You think we'll bring well, it to America? That was my next question. You just took it, <laughs> took the words out my mouth. Erica, we're in sync today again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think in the U.S. Army, we are a bit ahead in this space where we, you know, I was able to, again, another, the last job I was the chief of staff for the Army Future Studies Group, and we worked on this project called the Army Futures Command, which they stood up this new four-star command, which doesn't look like any other four-star command headquarters in Austin, Texas, where, I mean, you got people in hoodies and sweatshirts walking around the building with iPods in their ears, and, and it just looks different. And so they've, they're doing this, and I think it's exciting, and I think times are changing. Great. It's about time. We need yeah, to. Yeah, it's good to hear. It's definitely good to hear. One of, I know we have to wrap soon, but just in terms of thinking about military operations, innovations, cybersecurity, how is that, how is that changing? Um, I, I think, you know, certainly we, we better understand now that um, the attacks that we see, the threats that we see, they will more likely be... Um, cyber attacks versus, you know, ground attacks. So when, when you're looking at this, especially from the lens of both, you know, the U.S. Army, the British Army, how do you see that being, um, that evolving? Well, there are, there's two, I'll just say this, but there's two organizations um, that can explain where things are going. So in the, in, on the U.S. side, in the U.S. Army, Army, Army Cyber Command, uh, led by General Fogarty, is now trying to, I mean, they're starting to make sense of what's happening, these, these new threat vectors in, in cyberspace, and, and especially with information. And he's going after, his head mark is now Information Warfare Command that he wants to, you know, is work towards. On this side of the pond, um, we have 6th Division, which is stood up, which is going to focus on a similar, I mean, a similar thing where we're trying to have what they call information maneuver, where we're trying to master... The, the information environment and, and understand what's going on there. And, and that includes cyber security. I mean, one, I think the big thing is that there's a realization that we in the military and defense, you know, when you look at things like DARPA and, and all these different research labs, I mean, we used to lead SNT in development. I think we've come to reality that, you know, the private sector is leading and getting ahead. I mean, they're way ahead in, in terms of artificial intelligence, quantum computing. Now Google just announced they just, developed the quant first quantum computing a computer or, or what have you. And um, we just realized that we're, we're not going to catch, you know, there's no way to play catch up. It's just, but why don't we just create platforms where we collaborate and share and, uh, and work together? It's a team sport. That's a good point. We're, we're seeing that across the board where industry is, is, is really leaping ahead, which I, I think is great if we can take advantage of it. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you so much. This has been um, an incredibly insightful conversation. Tell, can you tell our listeners where they can get your book? Again, the title is Military Strategy in the 21st Century, People, Connectivity, and Competition. Yeah, it's, it's definitely on Amazon, so you can go on there. But uh, Cambria Press is our publisher. And if you go there, they, they, right now they're running uh, a discount, I believe. I can't remember what the, the code is, but, but thanks for that. <laughs> we'll hopefully more people read the book. Um, we're not getting royalties because, you know, we, we produce a lot of the information while we were on active duty. And so, so ethically, we just, we just want to share the ideas and get them out there so that people are more educated on what's, what's going on and around them. I have one last question, Arnaud. Uh, you know, I've looked at your background. When do you sleep? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we have a saying, like, you sleep when you're dead. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I guess it's not really uh, – when you get to do all these things that are exciting and you, know, you work on stuff you like, it's not really work. And, and you just tend to have fun. And um, it's been that way for quite some time. And so, yeah, I tend not to take on a lot. But uh, it's been good times. And hopefully it, I see the – the reward is that you start to see the impact it's making, I mean, particularly with the book spreading and becoming a textbook at different universities and institutions. But, I mean, it's rewarding to see that happening and to be changing things for the better. I know, but I, I know what it's like to work in, in the U.K. when a lot of, uh, you know, your your business is back in the States and, and you're you're currently on the in the artificial intelligence program at Oxford and you just look so busy. <laughs> oh, I finished that uh, over the summer. <laughs> yeah, don't get my wife started. She'll. <laughs> no, we're not. Great. Go- uh, we're not going there on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so you, uh, you know, if, if you can live on two to four hours a night, it, you just, you know, I, I know we've spoken a bit, and and it's so impressive what we're what you're accomplishing over there, what the military is doing. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you guys. Very kind. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you to all our listeners for uh, tuning in every week. We appreciate it. Please do continue to subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend or a colleague, and let us know what you think of it. Until next week, this has been To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 